This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morrison. This week we talk to our two cross-country All-Americans, James Jones and Katie Barker. Plus, the women's basketball team is off to its best start since 2008, and the squash teams got their seasons underway in exciting fashion. All that and more coming up on the Bates Bobcast. The women's cross country team turned in its second best showing ever at the NCAA championships on Saturday. The Bobcats finished 17th out of 32 teams and senior Katie Barker finished 34th out of 279 runners overall. Good for All-America honors, the first of her career. Barker is our female Bobcat of the week, and she joined the Bobcast on the phone to look back at NCAAs. You've competed at Nationals before two years ago. What did you learn from that experience that you applied this time around that helped you, you know, do so well there? Um, I think that just like traveling to these bigger meets, uh, it definitely, um, there's definitely, it's more intense than I think that traveling makes it seem like there's more pressure on the meets, which there is. I mean, it's an opportunity to accomplish something greater. Um, but I think just having that experience might have just made it just, like, more familiar. So being able to, like, manage those nerves more. Sure. And how valuable was the pre-Nationals experience um, going there this year already to see the course the first time around? Yeah, I think that that actually makes a big difference, especially because, like, we stayed at the same hotel and just, like uh, – Racing after traveling in general can be kind of hard on your body, and so I think that like having already gone through it, through it once and maybe like learning some things just made it more um, familiar for the second time around. And I think we also just, especially I think uh, getting used to and knowing how to manage like a, just a huge crowd of girls that you're running against. I think the first time around we kind of got. Um, lost and <laughs> lost at the start of the race, uh, and that we had to move up a lot. And even um, for this race at nationals, there's still a lot of girls that you have to maneuver around. But I think that just being more aware of that and being more aware of how to manage the field helps overall for sure. Yeah, I mean the race takes place at a golf club. I mean there's what 279 runners. How does that start even work for those who haven't seen a cross country race? Maybe you could explain a little bit how that even goes because I imagine it's a very big risk of colliding with somebody. Yes, yes. I mean, like, well, first also, you don't want to get um, like stuck behind people. You don't want to be behind all those girls and then have to pass all of them. So there's an urgency to get out in front of everyone else so you have to pass less people during the race but that means that everyone just sprints at the beginning and um yeah like because people are so aggressive and everyone's right next to each other in a very tight space people do collide i mean when i was running like girls were almost falling and tripping near me but then also tara one of the freshmen fell at the at the beginning of the race and got up and kept on going and um, there's a big question also for the guys start uh, and some of those guys I at least one Nico had to get up and just start the race after falling <laughs> but um, yeah it's definitely it's definitely crazy but you just have to try to stay strong and <laughs> keep on moving forward but yeah it ends up feeling like an all-out sprint for the beginning. Excellent. And then um, were you running with any teammates throughout this? I mean, you finished um, 34th. Was Aiden with you at any point in time, or are you kind of off by your own own self a little bit there? Yeah. So, I mean, like, at the start, it is just, like, so crazy. So it's – and you want to, like, move forward. So it's, like, hard to stick with girls at the beginning. And Yeah. Um, but actually at the start, even though, like, I felt like I was sprinting, Aiden did an awesome job at getting out in front. Of, and even though, I like, I definitely felt lost – with all the with all the girls, um, I was able to kind of stay focused on. I could see like she's taller, so I could see her blonde hair and the headband that was she was wearing, and it actually like helped me a lot to kind of just like like find her in the crowd. Even though I wasn't, I wasn't able to like I was far away from her for a while, um, but just like tracking her and like knowing that she was like nearby and just like trying to stay calm that way helped a lot and then I was able to like kind of work up towards her and 
it was crazy though. Even when I like at the moment that I got up to her, there were still like so many girls. So we were still far apart at the point where I ended up passing her, but um, she definitely helped me a lot at the start. <laughs> she did a great job getting out. Terrific. And the team overall got 17th out of 32. That's the second best showing the program's ever had at Nationals. I mean, how happy was the team after it was all said and done? Yeah, really happy. Yeah, it was a great day for our team. Like, I just feel like we came out and we ran the race that we, that all the girls knew that we could run and we all just had good days. And I know, I think the other girls definitely like were able to run more with each other and work off of each other, um, which is huge. And yeah, it ended up working out well, and I guess it was just like a really awesome end, you know, to I guess like show what our team really is capable of. Terrific, and so obviously not much downtime until track. I don't know what your plan is in December before the track meet start in January, but how do you make that transition now to indoor track and field? Yeah, so this week we have basically off, which is super nice. Yeah. Um, so letting our bodies recover a little bit from the season long season for sure um but uh and then we'll start doing uh like indoor workouts coming back in december and just like have you know two weeks of normal practice finals week is a little bit more flexible but we're still training and then yeah just keep on working towards the first meet in january i'm curious when you first arrived at bates and first joined the cross-country team did you ever envision the possibility of being an all-american uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Even now, were you a little surprised by it, or were you coming in with kind of this race with the expectation that you would finish in that top 40? Um, no, actually, yeah. I think that one of my friends on the guys' team, like, mentioned it earlier in the week, and I, like, kind of, like, laughed it off. And then I think I heard it, like, and then one other person mentioned it to me, and I was like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should, like, I was like, well, what, I don't even know what the qualifications are. So then I, I think it was like Thursday night, I looked up, like, actually what, what the qualifications were. Um, and then, and then I never really, I don't know. I just, like, I think it was good to be aware that it was top 40. And then my coach texted me the night before. I was like, just see if you don't already, like, if you don't already know, this is what the qualification is. Yeah. And, yeah. So, I mean, also just like during the race, like it was something that I was aware of at the beginning of the race, but then during the race, like as we're passing girls, all the like um, spectators and like coaches that are cheering people on will tell you, like will tell the other girls around you that they're cheering for, like what place you're in. And so, you know, just like hearing numbers, like you're 70th, like you're 60th, you're 50th. It's, you know, you, I could like, I could kind of know that I was getting closer during the race. And, yeah, I was aware of that for sure. <laughs> so I, I believe it looked like you got a big medal, right? Is that what I saw? Yeah, yeah. It just, like, seems like overall, no matter what, like with the season, I'm proud of it. But I, I guess it is cool to see, like, over four years how much I have progressed. And I guess it is, like, cool to see what I could accomplish. Um, but... Yeah, it's just a different, you know, classification. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's specialist. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, Katie Barker, our female Bobcat of the Week, thanks so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Congrats again on being an All-American. Thank you very much. The men's cross-country team finished 26th out of 32 teams Saturday at the NCAA Championships. And junior James Jones earned All-America honors with a 28th place finish out of 280 runners, the first All-American performance of his career. Jones is our male Bobcat of the Week, and he joined the Bobcast on the phone to reflect on the meet and his season. First of all, give us an idea of what the course conditions were like out there. Um, how were they? Were they muddy or were they pretty smooth? Um, it was really cold out and it snowed the day before. So it was muddy, but I think the snow and the cold actually kind of froze that up a little bit. So the, like the density of the ground was pretty good. Um, pretty much all we had to deal with was the cold. Um, the course was okay. And you're pretty probably pretty familiar with running, you know, in the cold. I imagine. And what what how does that change things though at all from a strategy standpoint when it is cold like that? Um, we wore under like underclothing, so we had uh, Under Armour um, something that we wore, and we wore gloves and hats, and you just throw them off as you kind of warm up throughout the race. But 
and tactically it doesn't really it doesn't change too much. What were you expecting in terms of you know did you try to get off to a fast start? Were you trying to pace yourself a little bit more? Because I know Al was talking about how if someone had broken loose, he was encouraging you not to chase after someone who broken loose early. So how did that end up going in terms of your pace? Yeah, I ended up um, on that particular day. I didn't really feel in the mood to race for a win or even you know in the, even go for one of the top few spots. So I ended up going out a lot more conservatively than I did at regionals. I went through the mile only at like 4.55, which is probably probably at least three seconds slower than the regionals course. So there wasn't really even an opportunity where I was like in the front and uh, was going to go uh, with someone who was breaking away. But that was that was definitely the advice that he gave me was to like remain with the pack and not, you know, not chase like any individual. Gotcha. And then you ended up 28th. So that's obviously good enough for all American. What was it like to put that medal around your neck? It was really nice. I mean, I was I was happy to be able to make it this year. And obviously, you know, you know, battling back from last year, what, what, what was the main difference you felt, you know, in terms of the training this year as opposed to maybe last season when you were slowed a little bit by injuries and whatnot? Sure. I mean, the, the training this year has been has been really smooth. I was really happy to not get not get injured and not really have any major, you know, health complications come up. But I, I really didn't get sick during any any important parts during the season. But my training's still pretty low. I, I have a lot of room to you know, increase my mileage and increase the intensity of workouts. How exciting is it to know that you have, you know, you're an All-American right now as a junior and you still have room to grow. I mean, do you do you envision yourself, you know, what are you envisioning kind of for next year in terms of the next step for you? Yeah, I, mean, I hope next year I'm in, um, you know, I hope I'm in as good a shape as I can possibly be and then I'll be racing, you know, further up than I did this year. And then how cool is it to see that, you know, like Justin Levine, uh, he's a junior, first-year Bart Russ, sophomore Tucker Barber, they were all the next top finishers. I mean, this obviously sets up nicely for next season, I imagine, among the cross-country team. What was kind of the feeling among the team after the race concluded? Um, yeah, I mean, it was It's definitely we were pretty optimistic for next year. Um, I think most of our point scores in that race are returners. I think there's a very good possibility that we're a better team next year than you know, we were this year. And this year, obviously, you know, going to nationals, what was the experience like overall to have not only the men's team there, but the women's team? I mean, a lot of Bobcats were there, weren't they? Yeah, we were, we were definitely happy that we were able to get both the teams out. Did you feel the presence of a lot of fans along the course cheering you on? or How crowded was it, I guess? It was, it was pretty packed. There was, um, throughout most of the course, there were fans cheering on the sidelines, um, you know, chanting, chanting their school's names and, you know, individuals. And it was, uh, it was definitely one of the most intense races I've ever run from a fan perspective, yeah. Right, and then I was thinking about this, actually I was talking to Katie Barker about this, how, you know, there's so many runners, right? there's 280 runners in your race, and there's a real risk people can fall over in the beginning and, and whatnot. How, what's your approach at the beginning, a very beginning of a race like this where there's so many people? Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm definitely lucky to be in a position where in this course I was going to be towards the front, which it gives you a lower risk of falling down. If you're in the very far back, you also have a lower risk, but anywhere in the middle, you're, you have a, optimal risk of falling down from either yourself getting you know, tripped or just being unfortunate to, enough to be behind someone else who trips and then you know, you're you have a very high likelihood of falling down. Um, and our race actually did, uh, it got re, the start got recalled because someone fell down in the first 100 and I think took a few other people with them. Um, oh. <laughs> so it, it definitely, that definitely was the case that it, it was easy for people to fall over in the beginning and in the middle I heard also but it's it's really more of a problem towards the middle of the races there's less congestion in the front and back so there's um you're a bit safer in those positions if you, if you can afford to be there yeah. interesting so you mentioned that the race got called so if someone falls over in the first 100 it the race stops and you start all over and what was that like? I mean, is that a rare occurrence or is that something you've experienced before having to start over like that? It's definitely different. I mean, I've experienced it a few times. When I ran um, Nike Regionals in high school, I think the race got recalled two to three times um, from that type of thing happening. Once might have been a false start, but I think I've experienced that particular event more than most people. There was a couple of kids on our team who said that's never happened to them before. Um, so, I mean, it depends, but it, it's not unheard of for sure. Do they just like corral everybody and like yell stop, stop? Or how does it even get do that? How do you corral so many people to get them to all restart? <laughs> yes, yeah, so they uh, they shoot the gun off twice. So if you hear a second gunshot, that means um, you're supposed to stop the race and go back to the start. But everyone's so excited that you, you don't hear the second gunshot. A lot of the times, I don't like I didn't hear it. 
But eventually people people that did kind of stop and turn around and sort of put their hands up and tried to get everyone to, you know, be aware that the race was restarting because you don't want to waste you don't want to waste any energy that you don't have to. And then, you know, five minutes later they they started again. And in that time that that was that was the real race. For sure. And then um, when you crossed the finish line, did you realize you were in all-American positioning, or do you have uh, an idea of where you finished, kind of? Yeah, people were really excited. Oh, I think it was the coaches, but um, the coaches on the sidelines were really um, in tune and excited about, like, the all-American spots. Um, so I pretty much knew exactly what place I was in the entire race because people were yelling out to people that were, like, right next to me or, you know, right in front of or behind of me, like, what spot that they were in. So I think I was about... I think I was in all-American positioning the whole race or close to the whole race, um, and then I knew I was passing more people than I was getting passed by. So I, I definitely did that when I finished. So this was your first time competing at um, NCAA's at Bates, right? And so, um, and overall, you know, how would you evaluate the experience, and what are you most looking forward to coming back uh, next season? I mean, it was exciting. I, there's definitely some energy in bigger races that you know, that I can appreciate, and I'm looking forward to trying to qualify for indoors. I think that's the next step for us. Yeah, indoor track and field coming up. Uh, what are some events you're looking forward to running, perhaps? Um, I'll do 3K and 5K, I think. Um, I'm sure early in the season I might play around with some shorter things, but those are the only ones I think I'll have any real chance of qualifying for. Gotcha. Well, James Jones, congrats again on your great performance there at NCAAs, and I'm Mail Bobcat of the Week. Thanks so much. Thanks. Appreciate it. The men's basketball team fell in a pair of tight games to Brandeis and Maine Maritime over the weekend, with the Bobcats missing a couple of key players due to injury. The women's basketball team defeated Johnson and Wales 68-52 on Friday and followed that up with a 74-59 win at Thomas College on Saturday. Head coach Allison Montgomery joined me on 105 Sports Radio in Auburn to talk about her young team. First of all, obviously, 2-0. That's a great way to start your season. What were some general takeaways from the weekend and what you noticed from your, your young squad? Yes, young squad. Emphasis on young. <laughs> um, no, it was a really exciting weekend. I think we have a team that plays with so much energy. They played so hard. Demonstrated some pretty good chemistry, I think, for you know having practiced a little less than three weeks. Uh, being a team that you know we played, I think, eight freshmen saw time and... You know, down the stretch, like in the fourth quarter of some of the games, I, I looked out to sort of voice my frustration and thought, "Oh, we have five freshmen out there. I think I'm gonna, <laughs> I think I'm gonna step back here." So, yeah, you know, just obviously really pleased um, with how hard they played, and you know, we we definitely you know face some adversity as you do in every game that you play, um, but just really impressed with their ability to, to play together with such a young squad. How about that new court over there at Alumni Gym? Uh, you, what? Looking forward to playing on it, right? It's a brand <laughs> new court, basically. Not the building. Just no, the just floor. the court, the floor oh. itself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nostalgic folks, don't panic. It's, this, it's the same you. Alumni Gym. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, with some really nice upgrades. Um, you know, a new court, which is it was definitely much needed, but also just gives it a nice little facelift, really brightens up the gym a lot. Um, you know, some updated logos and a new floor and some new seating, got oh. some new bleachers. So, so it kind of... Tell us about the seating. The, um, yeah. So it's just, um, there's still bleachers, still the wooden bleachers, but yeah. just new and improved and um, sort of for anyone who's been at... Um, at alumni gym you know there's no like handrails or they can be a little easy to or a little challenging to navigate so now it's just um a little more user friendly for folks sitting in the stands we did lose some seats because of that so it'll become an even more intimate uh gym but yeah just just a really nice um really nice upgrade to what is you know a really kind of nostalgic old school gym Excellent, excellent. And then um, you mentioned the young team. You have a first year named Ariana Dahlia who had not one but two double doubles. Uh, I know, uh, obviously, a few years ago you had Ali Capola who was a double double machine. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. must be nice to have another player who's racking up the points and rebounds, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Ari is. Um, she's a really versatile player. She'll play the four position for us. She's like five nine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's super strong. Really good athlete. She can shoot the three really good defender. Um, so she's just, yeah, she's really versatile. Um, and yeah, I mean, great performance by her. I'm not surprised at all. Um, obviously really pleased, especially, you know, being a freshman that she was able to be so dominant this weekend, but, um, you know, we for sure will be relying on her this year. So excited. She has such a good start. 
The men's and women's squash teams both went 1-1 one one over the weekend, with the men earning a dramatic 5-4 win over Dickinson on Saturday. With the match tied at four, sophomore Omar Atia rallied from down two games to one to prevail 3-2, clinching the match for the Bobcats. For his efforts, Atia was named NESCAC Men's Squash Player of the Week, and he joined the Bobcast on the phone to look back on the opening weekend. First of all, got to go to your match against Dickinson. It's why you are the NESCAC Men's Squash Player of the Week. It was all tied up there. Um, I assume you knew you had to win your match to, to clinch things for the Bobcats. What was going through your mind there in that fifth game? Honestly, I was, I was really focused on my game. I, I didn't know what was happening with the other matches. I usually stress about that with my teammates. Everybody has to focus on their match first, and then everybody would, like, once they're done, they would go and see their teammates' matches. So I wasn't. I was really focused on my match. I didn't know it was like, like I was the final. I like the final game. I didn't know that. Do you think that helps that you did not know that? Well, I kind of realized at the end that it all came down like to my match because everybody was like watching. So I realized like, oh, like it's time for me to like win the match, probably. Right. Well, you've done this before, though, right? Last year against Williams, it was kind of a similar situation, wasn't it? I mean, how would you compare those two results? I mean, both of those times rallying to get the victory. Yeah, and um, I, I feel like this match against Dickinson was probably tougher, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, the match against Dickinson, I think, um, well, I was up one, and then – he came up with two more games, and then I had to come with t- two more games. So, but like with the Williams match, he was up with two games, two loves against one. So that was probably I was I thought it was harder to to win the Dickinson match than the Williams. Interesting, because like, is it just a mentality of like, well, you got that first game, but it's kind of deflating when the guy gets the next two, as opposed to Williams, where like you're down two already, and so you have nothing to lose. Kind of is that how you felt, sort of. Well, that, and also we were playing at the Dickinson court, so they mm. had the home court advantage, and they had their crowd, and they were loud. But at base, we everybody was cheering for me, so it was much easier. Yeah, I guess people don't realize that. There's definitely a home court type deal with squash a little bit, isn't there? Because I heard a audible groan after you got the final point on that video clip. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was a celebration night. I was pretty happy because I was really tired because he, he was a good player, and he really, like, riled me out, to be honest. What was the reaction to your teammates when you left the court there? I mean, I remember the Williams match, they all came onto the court and jumped around with you. What happened after this one? Same thing, same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> they all came in, and everybody, like, we all just, like, went in and started cheering inside the court. Like, I didn't know we, we won. Like, I was asking them, did we win? Did we win? They're like, yeah, this was the last match. We won, we won, we won. So you're a sophomore now. So what are some goals you have this year in terms of, you know, kind of taking your game to the next level? Develop more as, a, as, a, as an athlete, mature more as an athlete, improve my fitness, my overall fitness, speed, agility, any, anything any athlete would do to develop his skills. And mostly I would want to mature more as an athlete, more contained, more disciplined as an athlete. That's what I want to be. Interesting. So more disciplined. Uh, can you elaborate that on a little bit? What does that, what does that entail, you think, kind of? What I mean by more disciplined is not, not like random, um, like sticking to a routine, um, not all over the place, not trying a lot of things. Like you got to be, how I say it, like you got to be disciplined as like in your training, in your nutrition, in your, um, in your like stretching, like going to the trainers. All that stuff, being more disciplined and having this kind of schedule or routine instead of just going, like, all over the place. And that's what I think what, dif- like, differentiates a college athlete from a high school athlete. Gotcha, gotcha. So how are you spending the Thanksgiving break here? Uh, obviously, everyone off campus right now. And how excited are you to get back at it uh, next Wednesday there against Bowdoin? Uh, I'm actually right now um, in New York with family, and uh, I plan on um, – training uh, in the mornings here in New York and uh, get back at it. Uh, we have Bowdoin, we have uh, Brown, and we have Trinity. Three tough games. We Hopefully our home opener against Bowdoin, uh, that's a big one, obviously, for base college itself. Any match in the CBB is huge, and we hope we can do well in that match. And then, obviously, Brown and Trinity, those are always uh, that's some stiff competition. You can really see where you're at, kind of, right? Yes. Trinity, Trinity, 100%. Um, 
They are the best team in NESCAC, probably arguably the best team in the nation. We, uh, we will try to play well against them. And Brown, we were really close last year into um, having something against them, but we didn't have that much luck, and hopefully we could do something better this year. Yeah, I'm looking at last year's result. You had a five-gamer against the Brown, a number three player last year, so I'm sure you're eager to get back out there against them, huh? Yeah, it was really close. We had, like, like five players on the team. They had five gamers against, against the Brown kids, and, um, and like, it's just we were so unlucky. We were, like, this close. We were, like, almost there, but it didn't work out. And I feel like this year's team, we can, we can actually do this this time. So we'll see. Excellent. Well, Omar, thanks so much for joining us here on the Bobcast, and congrats again on being the NESCAC Men's Squash Player of the Week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron. And head coach Pat Kosker gives us an overview of both teams after the first couple matches of the season. Yeah, this was a great weekend for us, Aaron. We, um, you know, long trip down, I think 11, 12 hours on the road uh, through the snow and all that. Um, it was really great to bring the kids on the road like that before Thanksgiving and see some really good competition. Dickinson men's team finished a little bit higher than us last year and uh their women we beat them in the finals of our of our flight last year so uh another good competitor uh you know good ranked team and then fnm um their men are, are really strong got a lot better and uh women are strong as well so it was just really good to to see the teams compete so early in the season um you know we have some untested uh, first-year talent and, and to put them in that situation in a competitive environment and it's sort of a stressful environment on the road, uh, away from Bates and all that, it's just really good to do that so early in the season. Uh, we spoke with Omar already on the Bobcast, but I want to touch on what he did against Dickinson. Uh, he said he wasn't aware initially that it was all coming down to his match, but he kind of got the sense as it went along. He's done this before, though. I mean, this yeah. guy is just clutch, isn't he? Omar is the man. He is a, he's a rock star. He... Uh, you know he's he's a bobcat. He's the type of player that we want out there. He he gives it his all, win or lose. Um, you know he has like unbridled passion. He's just out there throwing his body around, and uh, it's just really fun to watch him play. Um, I'm sure it's not fun to play him as a as a as an opponent, but um, to have him on the team, he just he brings energy in and out, uh, day in and day out, and and he's just uh, you know he leaves it out on the court, and that's all you can ask for as a coach. And what was that environment like there when it was all coming down to his because uh, his match? Because I know Dickinson obviously had the home court advantage. There was a point where we were losing. There was a point where we were winning, and then there was a, a point where we were losing, and I, I was sort of convinced that we would drop the match. We had three matches on. Um, all three of our of our guys were down. We needed, I think we needed two of them to win, or maybe we needed one to win. And... Um, I just didn't see it happening. I, I sort of felt that we could do it, but that was sort of a long shot. The odds were not in our favor. And then five minutes later, it was done, and we had won. And Omar was down, I think, 7-10. He probably said this. He was down 7-10 in the last game. Got two stroke calls, which was sort of an interference call on, mm -hmm. on his opponent, um, which brought him even. And uh, at that point, I like Omar's chances. He, Like I said, he, he I'm sure he's nervous. I'm sure he's you know, thinking about things in his head, in his own head, but he doesn't show it, and he's he's just out there, and he gives it his all, and um, and he just played through and got it done. He's done it before, so probably that had something to to do with his ability to be successful in that stressful environment. Um, the guys were watching, the women were watching. Dickinson, it was their first home match, so in a way, yeah, it was their home field home court advantage, but but. Also, I think they were probably nervous too, and and we really didn't have anything to lose. We were the, you know, underdog so to speak, and so we just went for it. And it's really part of the the structure of our lineup is that you can put people like that, like Omar and and Jesper, even um, in a position to be successful. Um, you know, they may, they're not going to win every match they play, but but they're going to have a chance to win every match. And um, and I'm fortunate as a coach to be able to do that with our lineup this year. And the women are the same way. We can put people in a position to win every match and win for the team. And, um, you know, that's it's great. Yeah, Omar's, Omar's great. It's, it's really fun to watch him play. He's, he's just an amazing uh, competitor and talented, talented kid and such a bobcat.
And then the women's team, narrow loss to Dickinson, bouncing back the next day to beat Franklin and Marshall. What stood out about the women through two matches? Yeah, the Dickinson match was disappointing, no question. We we probably have a better team than they do. Um, you know, they're they're strong at the top, and, and Lutza came through. Mm-hmm. Um, Lutza's been playing really, really well in the early part of the season. And um, Christina was up in her match, probably could have closed it out and didn't. Um, Eliza is is just you know we're just used to seeing Eliza win and and she had a tough opponent who beat her as well so it's it's tough you know Emma uh, Emma Glambo's first year in her spot had a chance to win went to five um, you know we we had our shot we just didn't get it done I think for the women they're maybe not as as mature as the as the men are at this point in the season and so that probably played into things. Um, you know, we just weren't able to get it done. The Dickinson women are good, and we knew that going in, so we knew it would be close. I think the turnaround, um, we talked about after the Dickinson match, the turnaround going into F&M was that it would be similar, and it was similar. It wasn't as close, but I think it wasn't as close because the women played better. They showed up. They knew it was the last match before break. You know, leave it all out there, give it give it their best shot, and they did, and they won 7-2, and um, you know, it's just it's it's great to see them. I think they learned a lot. I know they learned a lot in 48 hours on the road before Thanksgiving, and it'll really serve them well going into the next portion of the season against Bowden and Trinity and Brown, and then into January against Middlebury and Williams and all those all those guys. You know, squash obviously interesting because you've got your number one through number nine positions. Um, in practice, everyone's always competing for those spots. Yeah. They want to be high up on the ladder. But in reality, all nine are equally important, right? Yeah, it's a little bit of a head trip. It's yeah. it's very, um, you know, it's 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 tough because there's a lot of focus that's put on the top of the ladder. There's a lot of focus that's put on um, the older group. You know, we have a, a strong old group of older group of, of four seniors that that are all in the starting nine right now. Um, you know, and so a lot is made of them. Um, but in actuality, you're right. The Emma Glambos, Natalie Bachman, Tasha Jones, our three first years, are their spots, their matches are just as important as as Lutz's and Christina's and Vicky's. And um, you know, I think they'll, they're figuring that out. I, it, again, in 48 hours, we learned a lot, and um, and they'll know that going into the next round of matches. The, the those matches will be will be sort of close as well, and um, and then moving into January, I think. I've said this before, but once they realize that they're playing for each other and that they can really help each other by coaching and, and pushing each other during the match and, and really cheering each other on, then then this whole thing becomes a lot more fun and we get a lot better. And then looking forward to the rest of the season, obviously it's spread out a little bit. You got Bowden coming up, and then after the winter break, obviously it always is Middlebury and Williams. Those are the two most important matches of the regular season, aren't they? Yeah, I try not to talk too much about it as the coach. (laughs) Um, It definitely sort of defines us every year how we do against uh, Middlebury and Williams, I think. Um, We are one of our goals is to finish second in our conference, and that's behind Trinity, who, who, you know, basically win the national championship every year. Um, And they've never lost a Mezcac match. So, so, you know, really for us, it's beating Williams and Middlebury and and finishing second. But at the same time, the Bowden match is a really important thing for us. We haven't lost to them in a long time. Uh, The men haven't lost since 2004, I think it is. And um, that's something that I think is really important for Bates College and Bates College Athletics and for the squash program. It's something that we we really, you know, hold our hat hat on. And, uh, you know, that's something that we want to keep going, that, that streak. So... It is a little bit, you know, I get into the logistics with myself and, and scheduling right. and all that, but I try not to, you know, we try to go one match at a time with the kids to use the coach's cliche. Makes sense. Well, yeah. uh, Coach, any other thoughts on these years, this year's team, what you're most looking forward to from both teams? Yeah, we travel a lot. <laughs> so um, last year was a home home year for us. We spent mm-hmm. all of January at home, which was which was nice. Um, but at the same time, traveling, we, we sort of limit our distractions. And I think that's I think some of the kids are really looking forward to that, especially our older group that that have thesis and are living off campus and, um, you know, don't necessarily have to uh, deal with some of the winter <laughs> distractions that happen here at Bates. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to it. It's fun. You know, it's fun to hit the road with the kids and, and uh you know, play some tough matches. We have some really tough matches. NESCACs are split this year, so we go, instead of having one event where both the men and women are playing at the same time, we're, we're two different events. Um, our nationals are two different events as well. Our individuals are down at, at in Providence at Brown University, so that'll be a nice trip for us. Um, 
and we play some we play some good teams and so we can't really rest you know these breaks the thanksgiving break and the holiday break in december and the february break we we really can't rest and the kids know that they're really committed um you know to to limiting the distractions and staying on top of their academics and and all that it's sort of what we do at squash and um you know being out here in our building we're able to to talk about some of the things that are relevant to us um more so than just Bates athletics in general or even Bates you know we're able to really um with the small teams we're able to sort of break things down and and take time off the court to just sit and talk and and discuss how to be successful on and off the court and and in life and all that so it's it's um this this group is great the first years have come in they're ready to play now after the F&M and Dickinson weekend yeah. um they're great they've worked really hard we've had some kids that are spent all fall out here um and uh you know they're they're fit the guys team i think they realize that they maybe aren't the t- most talented team we've ever had but they have to work hard and they have to to kind of grind and be tough and gritty in order to win matches like the Dickinson match and and um, it, like I said earlier, it's really nice to, to see them have done that already in early November because they're going to have to do that again in January and February against, you know, the Williamses and the Middlebury's and Tufts and Wesleyan and all those other teams that we play in, in January. All right, Pat Oscar, thanks so much. Thanks, Aaron. The swimming and diving teams are off to a strong start with the Bobcat women and men outscoring Wesleyan and Trinity in their first meet Saturday. Sophomore five-time All-American Caroline Apathy anchored the 200 free relay, which clinched the victory for the women's team over Wesleyan. Meanwhile, junior Matthew Charest impressed with a number of strong performances, helping the men outscore the Cardinals and the Bantams with ease. Talking some swimming and diving here on the Bates Bobcast with a pair of Bobcat swimmers, Caroline Apathy and Matthew Charest. Both the men and women beat Wesleyan and Trinity. Uh, Caroline, we'll start with you. It was uh, pretty nerve-wracking, though, right? It came down to the final relay. Uh, break it down. You anchored it, right? Yes. It had. We had to go first and third um, with the A and B relay. Um, it was me, Susie Rickman, Maya, and Caroline Sweeney, and so a bunch of freshmen, and yeah. I was going off of anchoring all of that and we all knew that we had to get first and I just knew I had to swim my butt off to touch out the Wesleyan girl. Lucy, Saskia, Izzy, and Olivia Pinsati, um, they had to get third and they did the same as what they did what we were set out to do so we were really proud of that. So you're anchoring the relay, so when it comes your turn to jump into the pool, can you kind of tell where the team is at that point? They were out a little ahead of us, but I just, like, knew I had to have a really good relay start, um, which Caroline Sweeney, like, did an awesome job finishing into the wall and had enough time for me to, like, go in. And everyone was cheering on the other side of the pool, and it was really, like, a hyped-up moment. And I was just feeding off of the adrenaline of the whole pool and everybody screaming their heads off. And the turn was just really where... I started to separate from the Wesleyan girl. Um, so we work on like sprinting and like the turns and our um, underwater kicking, especially in practice. So that helped. Matt, was the men's team able to watch that exciting finish for the women? Yeah, um, I think we all knew that uh, the meet for the women's team was really close. Um, and we were all rooting for them to uh, pull it out in the end. And I think we all knew that. Um, we had a really strong A and B relay that could uh, pull it out in the end, and they did. Um, and I think that was a really great experience for the whole team to watch and enjoy. And, and Matt, Peter Casares, your head coach, said how uh, you had a really good meet, um, a big improvement over last year perhaps for you. What was the big difference you think between this year and last year? Um, I think just the summer training. Um, I got in the pool almost – at least five times a week um, and I thought it was a really good summer base um, preparing me for preseason um, and into preseason we had great captains um, leading us uh, the whole way through um, and I thank them for that also all the freshmen kept me really um, enjoyed to be in the water um, so I think that just helped me throughout the way. Now you're a Lewiston native, so over the summer were you swimming here? 
yeah, so um, the pool was open um, for me uh, whenever I needed to come in. Um, so I had a group of some other people, Rory uh, Collins, Catherine Mullen, Alexander Ignatov, um, and a few others would stop by throughout the summer. Um, so we had a good summer squad going together. Um, and I think we, we did it all in the weight room and all in the pool. And I think we all are set up for a great season to come. Terrific. Uh, being from Lewiston, what made you decide to stay home and come to Bates for college? Coming to Bates, I knew, I knew it was really close. Um, I, I had three schools in mind and the two other schools that I took recruit trips on really didn't feel right. And when I came to Bates, um, all the people seemed just really inviting. They really were invested in like me and why I wanted to go there. So I, I, I felt just the inviting atmosphere was right at Bates and it fell close to home. So that's just how it is. Great. Uh, Caroline, the women's team right now, obviously, a number of other swimmers are abroad, including a few All-Americans. Um, so that's a, that can be a, a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing, right? A lot of opportunities for some of the younger swimmers to step up. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so we're missing Amy Duran, Hannah Johnson, Yana Coho, and Monica Sears. And right, we don't have any divers also. So we all already go into meets with... Um, four girls, four really fast girls missing, um, and no divers. We already lost points there. And also, right now we have two injured swimmers out right now: um, Lily Scott and Emma Lammers. Um, Emma swims the two fly and is, really excels in that event and helps us win that. And Lily helps us with the sprint freeze and is really it all creates very a lot of depth and I think the freshmen help in adding more into that depth um, we get in the meet when we didn't get first you saw us getting like second third or fourth that really like helped us get points as well um, so yeah the freshmen really are doing an amazing job and like they put a lot of work and effort into practice and you definitely see that in the pool yeah and uh, caroline brings up a good point matt in terms of you know the depth because you're part of that depth for the men's team right because uh, i know you and bedard uh, right bedard got one you got two in one of the races so what's that dynamic like competing you know with your fellow teammates not necessarily having to win but also but scoring points nonetheless yeah so um this weekend we in both the 100 breaststroke and 200 breaststroke we had a one, two, three, four sweep um, for the men's. And um, Bedard first, obviously, carrying, carrying, <laughs> carrying the way. Um, he's a great training partner. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't thank him any, any, any more. Um, he is just great to train with. Um, and also, uh, we had in the 100 breast, Andrew Hall and Jesse Haggy. Um, and then in the 200 breaststroke, it was Jack Johnson um, and also Jesse again. Um, so both, both, all three of those guys are great training partners. Um, Jesse's in the sprint group. Um, I always see him training really hard. Um, and Andrew and Jack are just pushing me along the way um, in the uh, breaststroke practices so i really thank them for that also their their young and exciting vibe brings a whole whole new level to the training experience so um it's it's really great great uh next up main state meet caroline your memories of the main state meet from last year it was fun i remember it being like a fun little it kind of felt like a championship meet with like all the teams but i just remember bates being like very we, we were winning I remember like we were really crushing the other teams that's and I was swimming a lot but I just remember the vibe being very fun and fast um I think a few people got a few best times which is really cool um yeah I a, a lot of people get it best times do we suit up I think mm -hmm. we suit up yeah we suit up so 
that will be really it's interesting to see the amount of people that go fast we're already going best Anna Barrow um, she's a freshman on team she went three best times I think at the Wesleyan meet mm -hmm. so like the freshmen are already dropping time like crazy and I think we're just improving a lot so the main meet will be very interesting to see how where we're standing in our improvement and yeah it'll be fun and the main meet obviously Matt involves you know Bowden and Colby the traditional Bates rivals what's that like from a swimming perspective yeah so um, I think it's a good uh, test to see before the the dual meets against Bowden and Colby um, I think it's good to scope out how the other teams are doing um, and it's also a good test to see how we compare um, going into those meets also like Caroline said going into the meet with a with a fast suit on it's a it's a breath of fresh air to see those fast times on the board especially when we're going going into training trip um, during winter break it's it's nice to see some fast times up on the wall and keep the morale up for the rest of the season yeah, for those who aren't familiar with swimming, maybe the fast suits, that's interesting. So different suits have different speeds. What determines what you're going to be wearing? Yeah, basically it's just uh, the price. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and the yeah, so yeah. The, the suits are like really tight. Um, they keep you, keep the blood flowing to your muscles and everything. Um, I don't know the whole science behind right. it. I just know it feels good when I'm in the water and keeps me really hydrodynamic. Excellent, excellent. Well, Caroline, what are you most looking forward to maybe for the remainder of the season here uh, you know, as you look forward? Because one meet down and um, many to go. I guess I'm looking forward to training trip, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's it's really fun on training trip, just being in the floor sun. And we get all the girls back from abroad. So every meet after that is going to just become easier. Just we're going to be better in the meets um, just because we have more girls. And I'm... I guess I'm looking forward to the Dartmouth meet. I, it'll be interesting to see how that will play out. Um, that's our only home meet, I believe. Um, one of two. One of two. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I'm just excited for that meet. And obviously NESCACs. Um, it'll be fun. It, it's definitely different with a bunch of freshmen. Mm. Um, it's sad that we lost, like, a few seniors but um the freshmen definitely keep make a more fun team dynamic matt she touched on the training trip that's your chance to wait swim outdoors in florida right exactly um we get to swim outdoors warm weather hopefully uh the past two years uh it's been pretty nice um i think it's definitely a morale boost yeah, yeah going to the beach uh in the middle of the day before our second session at night um it's both long course and short course so 50 meters in the morning um the pool is 50 meters and then in the afternoon it's the same size as the one here at Bates, 25 yards um so that gives us kind of a a dual threat in in the training um but definitely the the weather helps uh boost the morale a bit um and it, it, it's a fun time to get some team camaraderie together. Excellent. Well, Matt, Caroline, thanks so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Thank, Thank you very you. much. We wrap up this episode of the Bobcast with a look back at the football season with head coach Malik Hall. Well, coach, first of all, last week we, we didn't have you on because you were busy in meetings all week with players. So what were some points of emphasis with those meetings? Were they generally all the same or were they pretty highly customized to the individual? You know, again, our... You know, our mantra is coach the person, not the product. So every meeting we have is is really tailored to the individual and their progression in our program. Um, it also services the point to get a perspective from a player and how the player feels um, their process is happening, their progress, and, you know, giving them the ability to reflect on what took place in the season, good, bad, or indifferent, for every player to have a voice as an individual and being that I'm the head coach is my job to, you know, encourage the voice that needs to be encouraged, um, you know, discipline the voice that needs to be disciplined. And at the same time, you know, coach all of those voices 
that we're all in one direction, all in one mission, all one Bobcat. So um, chemistry and leadership might, again, may be the most um, under-talked about peace and success or lack thereof and having individual meetings and painting that vision for individual players and what that leadership and that chemistry looks like and what we're willing to do to obtain it. You mentioned players giving some feedback. You were a first-year head coach. What's maybe some valuable feedback you've heard from the players? Um, that they don't like losing. And, you know, one of the things that most players have been able to identify, um, including some seniors, is that, man, like, we feel like this is going on a different direction. It's going in a different direction. Not only do we feel it, like, we're so close, and them not understanding why it unravels in the second half. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that was eye-opening to me is, and probably everyone who's in the stands, like, our players identify, like, it's unraveling. Why is it unraveling? Stop the unraveling. Stop the unraveling. But there's a mental block in that that we haven't, one, been able to train um, as a coaching staff, and then two, um, changing mindset from, you know, competing and playing as if playing to win or competing and playing so it stays competitive. Those are two different mindsets, and I found um, as talking to our players that the mindset in the second half of our season and the second half of games became Hey, let's not lose it. Let's not let's not make a mistake. And whenever your focus is not to lose or not to make a mistake, most most of the time you make that mistake and you end up losing that game. So, you know, whether it was conscience, uh conscious the consciousness of every athlete knowing versus the subconscious of not knowing and that still being the way you play. You know, our job this offseason is to create some clarity for each player in our program, create the direction in which mental toughness will improve their skill set, and and at the same time, to create the chemistry around all of that. So it'll be interesting to uh, get back to work. Um, some of our guys have already said, Coach, man, there is no offseason. Our season has to continue because – um, not being able to win a game means we're further away as players and as a coaching staff, which means our program is much further away than what we all want it to be. And the only way we can close that gap is to close it now. And I know the coaching staff hard at work on the recruiting trail. Seen some optimistic tweets. Obviously, have to be very vague about it. But, you know, from a recruiting perspective, you were previously, you know, at Penn, an Ivy League school, now recruiting in the NESCAC. Similarities, differences you've noticed so far? Yeah, I, I think there are many similarities. Um, at the end of the day, I think if we could yield some Ivy kids um, based on um, late rejections, um, you know, whether the Ivy makes a decision or the player to go in different directions, we want to be in a great position where we can, one, attack those recruits, two, yield them, and then more importantly, make them feel like they've they've not only made the right decision, but a decision that will impact their four years of football and impact our program immediately. So where we are in the recruiting trails, we're happy, but we're not we're not we're far from done yeah. um, because we're the we're the staff that started late in this whole um, in the in, in the nest cap we started extremely late. Um, but at the same time, with ED1 closing and ED2 closely approaching, I mean, we're hustling. We're hustling to get guys, to evaluate guys, um, and to create that relationship with families in a small window. Um, it's challenging, um, but when you have a high academic institution like Bates, the families know what the institution is academically. Our hardest or our biggest task or challenge is to paint the vision athletically. And being that is a blank canvas, that could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing. 
Um, so touching on the Hamilton game real quickly, you got uh, you started senior Kevin Claflin, who had never played quarterback at Bates before at quarterback in that game, and he threw a couple of nice touchdown passes. I thought that one to Jackson Hayes was uh, hit him in stride and everything. What was behind that move? Kind of was it just kind of a senior day type thing, or was there a little more strategy behind that? So it was it was a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, understanding Claflin played quarterback in high school, though he has not played it in four years. Um, my thought process, as well as Coach Patterson, is before we let, you know, a sophomore who played quarterback in high school, a freshman, this was not about arm talent. This was more about leadership and management. Um, and we felt that Claff being a senior, um, understanding uh, situations of the game, and being on the defensive side of the ball, just his career would have given us the best opportunity to win a game. Um, understanding that we had to keep the passes, the pass attempts under 15, 15 attempts. Um, because after you get over 15, that means you have to pass it um, regardless of circumstance and situation. You're just throwing it so you can get back into the game um, or to come back. So we felt that if we could keep it in that 15 target range of attempts, that means we're in the flow of the game. And, you know, if we get to 17, 18, 19, hopefully it's with us having the ball last and we're going down to win the game. Um, for the most part, the game plan stuck into that regard. Um, those two block punts. 78% right. of the time, a block punt for a touchdown, the team who gets the block punt loses the game. We had two. So that's probably 9.99999%. Yeah. So in that space, you know, is, is how to win a game versus how to lose a game. And finding ways to win games opposed to finding ways to lose it. I don't think the Hamilton game was um, – I think we were battling. You know, field position became to be, um, you know, crucial in the grand scheme of it. It was uh, four yards, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of game. And what breaks open the game? A block punt. Um, one of the things that I spoke to our team about at the end is, if you think about how we opened our season and how we closed our season, the Hamilton and Amherst game is a great reflection of both. Amherst, who's the top of the league, and we're in it and we're in it. And what opens that game up? A special teams miss, mishaps. Like, we roughed the kicker. Right, right. Keeps their drive alive, they go down and score. Right? So, all in all, we're just battling. We're throwing punches at each other. First down, third down, punt. First down, third down, punt. Same thing at Hamilton game. Right? And what opens the game open? A block punt. So, at the end of the day, our guys have to understand you know, when you're in a tight game, it's okay to switch punches, trade mm -hmm. punches. Just keep throwing punches back and don't get caught in the chin with a haymaker. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Hamilton caught us under the chin with a block punt, and that put our offense on their heels. Um, now we're out of the game plan of having to throw it less than 15 times. Um, I think Claff did a great job all considering he hasn't taken one quarterback snap all year. Right. Um, his leadership, uh, the enthusiasm for the team for him on senior day um, was a great opportunity for him to kind of just let it go, let it rip one last time and try to get a win for the Bobcats. Um, I thought he did a great job towards the end. I know um, he did have some picks. Um, but, again, at that point in the game, we're off our game plan, we're off script, and now we're all trying to do something and hope something magical can happen. Yeah. And um, whenever you're reaching, you're, you're acceptable to a knockout blow. So looking forward to next year, I mean, you're obviously hoping for some better health, right? You want Costa back, you want Lopez back. I, I've, you know, I'm, I touched on how well Hayes plays the first year. You feel like there's definitely some potential there to have him be like kind of a go-to guy somewhat in the receiving core, huh? Yeah, I, I think if you look at our season, our 18 seniors who were banged up yeah. all year, um, if you look at our first few games, I mean, we're playing with all of our young guys. Um, 
that's the good news. The good news is they had some critical uh, experience being baptized by fire. Though it hurts, it certainly creates a memory um, from that pain. And there's all hopes that that pain becomes passion and that passion turns into fuel for those young guys in this offseason. Um, understanding what it means to play a Amherst or Trinity, who we only had two returners on that field this year. So this year we had no returners basically playing. Next year our entire team will be returning and be ready to battle Trinity at home, um, knowing what it feels like to be up at Tufts at their homecoming and it unraveling in the second half. Uh, to a quarterback who won that's calculator of the year, I think. So I, I think understanding what that looks like is one thing, but what it feels like, what the experience is like, completely different thing, which we want to use as a learning tool. Um, the other part, too, you know, getting to the halfway point of Williams and Wesleyan, knowing that's the halfway point of the season, regardless of what happens against Williams, like, the season is at the halfway mark. Let's close the deal. Let's get it done against Wesleyan and close out the season at a high level of performance. And, and, and no, I'm not speaking to whether we win or lose the game. I'm speaking to how we play our game. And, unfortunately, in the course of nine games, I think three of them we played our game. Mm-hmm. Um, in those three games, we did not come out successful. However... In the evaluation of our coaching staff and the development of our program, I can look at our I can look at that game and evaluate where we got better, where we're weak, and how can we close the gap. When you play a Wesleyan and you don't show up and it just unravels on you, you can't evaluate that game. Mm-hmm. When you um, play a Kobe and you don't show up, snow, rain, sleet doesn't matter. You can't evaluate the game if you do not play to your standard for four quarters. All right, Willie Call, thanks so much for recapping the season with us. Thanks for having me, and again, it's a great day to be a Bobcat. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll recap how the basketball teams do over this holiday break. We'll have it all covered on the Bates Bobcast. Bates, Bates.